It's not the Late Show. It's the Overlook Podcast. I'm Steve Scher. I'm Robert Horton. The last Late Show from David Letterman. How do you feel about that? Uh, how do I feel about it? I feel um, like something's ending, definitely. And uh, and uh, I don't I don't know if I'll miss the show right now because um, I haven't been a regular viewer in a while. But um, it was the show was very important to me. And I also think that um, there, there's been kind of a rash of think pieces about the end of the show. And I think that that is justified by, uh, by this moment. I think something is changing. Well, let's talk about some of those think pieces. But in a minute, I have a question. Why haven't you been a regular viewer of late? That's a good question. And I think mostly it's uh, uh, my, my own biorhythms and the fact that I don't really tape stuff off TV. And, and the fact that I, you know, I started watching The Daily Show and Colbert if I was going to be up till midnight. Yeah, mine, mine exactly. Yeah. Which tells us something, which Letterman recognized. Um, but yeah. also, I, uh, I found myself coming back to Letterman in the last few years, maybe the last five years even. Mm-hmm. Since he got over the angry bitterness of the Conan debacle yeah because that really that colored him in a way that the the jay debacle didn't it seemed to really af- affect his ability to be funny mm-hmm. and yeah. he just seemed so angry by it he did seem like just a grumpy old guy going yeah. through the motions he got pretty grumpy toward the end uh well but then he i think he revitalized i think he found himself again i think he found his rhythm you know, a few years ago, maybe he had already decided he was retiring, maybe not. But he just seemed to have found himself. I think that's why Stewart and Colbert uh, started popping up on his show again, and these other comedians like Louis C.K., it's more challenging people. Maybe he started to recognize that he was indeed the, the old man of television. Yeah, and when you I, when you see the end coming, it, it does change things, and uh, I can see that... Uh... Kind of altering the stance, maybe uh, maybe feeling liberated a bit, but I really I haven't watched it very much lately, so I I don't know I can't say, but it's uh, that's interesting that you say that. What think pieces have you read, and what did you get inspired by? Um, I th- there were a few things. Um, I I don't remember where they were published. I suppose I should have done some research for this before we before we started recording. Oh, you say that every time. I do. Um, the, uh, there was one in the New York times, uh, a couple in the New York times and, but, but most of the, most of the, um, the thrust of them has been that, uh, this, this was a talk show that, that is a, um, is in a line that takes us back to the 1950s and that maybe that era is ending with this. And what we have now is something very different and it's maybe not a talk show anymore. Maybe it's a variety show. Um, and at least a couple of people have, have pointed out something that was on my mind, which is that um, one of the things I liked about Letterman is that he seemed so he cast such a baleful eye on show business and on phonies and on people plugging things. And now the people who inhabit the positions that he inhabits are people who love show business and who embrace uh stars and doing publicity with them and uh 
who don't have a skeptical or ironic, except I mean, they're all ironic, but in some way, but, but they seem so much nicer and sweeter and less questioning and all that. Well, um, well, I mean, that's I mean, Jimmy that's, Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel to be sure. And that's some of those shows that are on, uh, I don't remember the name of the shows, shows on E, show on Fox network, FX. Um, I don't Seth think Myers that's one of them. And Seth the, Myers is one. Uh, the, uh, James Gordon is one, but I don't. Yep. I don't think we're going to see that from Colbert. I mean, Colbert seems of the lineage of 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 Letterman, of uh, Ernie Kovacs, of even some of the Steve Allen stuff. Col- and that's where he comes. Yeah, it's great. It's going to be great to see what Colbert does because he will. He will not be uh, one of these people, and it, and it will be. But it will it will be interesting to see if he succeeds too. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if he will. I think he'll be good, but I don't know if he will be taken to America's bosom in no, the way that no. um, Jimmy Fallon is crushing, you know, Letterman in in, in his numbers, um, and it's, uh, that's obviously what people want to see. Right, and right. that goes for um, Seth Meyers. That goes for that goes for why Letterman was where he was. But you know, as Letterman even said one, I think he said it in the uh, New York times piece. He said, you know, once he reconciled himself to not beating Jay, that, that, that he, that he decided to go back to doing what he loved rather than trying to do what he thought was going to get the most viewers, which he couldn't do. He just wasn't able to do it. I mean, that's why people like George Clooney and, and Julia Roberts, who were on this last week, I think they kind of enjoy it because he doesn't force them to pander. Well, um, this, okay, that that kind of brings me to something that uh, I'd like to uh, bring up. Um, Because I could could actually talk about Letterman for a long time. I I think he's a really interesting figure, and I think he's important in some ways. Um, And one of the ways it was important, it seems to me, is that he could, that he created a show where things could happen that were honest and and real in a way that doesn't happen on TV very much. <coughs> uh, we'll, we'll keep that in there. Yeah. Give me your examples of what that is. Yeah. Um, very early, I was very devoted to his show. It was on at 1230 on NBC in the 1980s, and I watched it uh, all the time. And um, I actually found it kind of inspiring. Um, but he... I'll give you an example. There was a night that he was, that Paul Simon was on. This was very early on. And Letterman started off by saying something like, you know, you and Art Garfunkel, that must have been interesting when you guys met and all that. And Simon uh, sat there and he kind of hit the sides of his chair for a second, just mildly exasperated. And he said, you know, do we have to talk about this? Can we not just do something else? Can we not be scripted can we just and Letterman said yeah of course we can talk about whatever you want and they, so they talked about something else. and I even at the time I thought um, that was really interesting that that happened and the conversation that came out of it was fine but it was the fact that Paul Simon felt that he could do that on that show he wouldn't have done that to Johnny you know uh, he, he would have he would have played along with it but he he created an awkward moment it was an awkward possibly embarrassing moment in which something authentic happened on TV. And there was, there, this happened every week. 
Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, don't you think that happens often? I, I think when George Clooney came out last week with a pair of handcuffs, that was not entirely going by script. I mean, there must have been something there, but but at the same, that was pre-planned, but it went way too far. You know, uh, when Crispin Glover was on Letterman in the '80s, and these weird, dangerous things would happen, that he would not, he wouldn't have done that. As weird as he was, he wouldn't have done that elsewhere, and just. Starlet's getting miffed at Dave and Dave snapping at people and, and all that stuff. It was, I, but I, it was authentic. It was, it was, there was, it could not have. And, and I think that's why he was not as popular as Leno uh, because Leno wouldn't let that happen. The smooth surface of television remained unbroken with do, Leno. Do you know, what? people don't want to see the surface unbroken. Uh, you know, folks, some people say the most powerful force in the universe is love. It's a beautiful thought, but I wonder if these people have ever seen a 90-ton hydraulic press in action. We have uh, 3,400 Alka-Seltzer tablets on this fine piece of clothing. Right away with this little demonstration, I feel we've paid for the pseudomagnets, don't you? I'll hit the wall and stay there, right? Yes, theoretically. Okay. <laughs> go high. As high as I can go. When we come back, I want you folks to use those bowling balls to tease some pedestrians. Do you know that one of the things they've been playing a lot on Letterman in clips is the Joaquin Phoenix interviews? Oh, he yeah. seems very proud of that. And it seems that that was very much two, two kind of like uh, two forces that were not going to be scripted. And they were both going to play against whatever scripted had started to be developed. I think that, yeah, right. They were two people who both were interested in making something unusual happen that would not be the same damn thing that it's always on. Um, the, um, yeah, in, that, it, one, in one of the New York Times interviews, Letterman points that out as one of his favorite things, the walking Phoenix night when he was on. And he was just completely into whatever thing he was doing. And uh, I thought it was interesting that Letterman said that was one of his favorites because another host would have thought, this guy's a jackass, he's ruining the show, which has come to a dead stop because of this. It's, you know, it's, it's terrible. And, and, but, but Letterman saw uh, the value of that. It was, you know, it was, it was a thing. Um, and I think that was, I think that's really, really cool. It's a, but um, his ability to, to be honest like that uh, has, has, has hurt him in the ratings, but it, but it um, I think it, it resulted in things like when he appeared uh, on his show after September 11th and he spoke uh, very honestly and, you know, he was just a talk show host, but you saw how, he saw how smart he was and how plain he was about getting directly to the effect of something. Yeah, he does uh, that with politicians. He did it with politicians. He did that with Obama. He did it with George George Bush, you know, from a distance. <laughs> yeah, he, he did do that. He was a little more of an, he did more interesting interviews because he would turn his chair to the side and look at them and ask yeah. a little more pointed questions and wait and let the and let the silence be there. Yeah, yeah, right. Letting a, letting an awkward moment happen. Yeah, that that is important. And the the yeah, your the night he was on with the night he told Bill O'Reilly about uh, he said something like, "I don't I don't really know that much about politics, but I can tell that about eighty percent of what you say is crap." Yeah. O'Reilly just sat there, and, and yeah. there is a lot of there's actually a lot of insight in that statement. 
you, 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 Fox News always relies on, you know, calling people out by coming up with um, statistics and things. And, and Letterman was saying, no, sometimes you don't have to know about politics to know when someone is full of crap. Yeah. And that is true. That is, a, that is a human observation. And as the weeks turned into months and into years, and one death became a dozen deaths and a hundred deaths and a thousand deaths, then we began to realize, you know what, maybe we're causing more trouble over there than the whole effort has been worth. Possible. But do you want right now, do you want the United States to win in Iraq? <clears throat> First of all, I, I, I don't. It's an easy question. If you, if you, if you don't want the United States, it's to not easy Iraq. for me because I'm thoughtful. <laughs> How about that? That was a good one. That was great, Dave. You get paid for those. Now tell me, what about the um, interchanges with the people on the street? Uh, Rupert G. Uh, Mujibar and Sarah Jewell. What what? It, what did you think of those? Because those were incredibly awkward. And after a while, I kept asking myself, why does Rupert G. subject yeah. himself to this yeah. sort of torture? I know, that was uh, that was sometimes cringeworthy. I don't know, but it's, part of it was just uh, Letterman enjoying um, people who are real people, you know, uh, and, and doing it in a way that... Um, I know some people thought it was kind of condescending, but I never had that feeling. I remember he he explained one bit once where there was some famous person in the in the studio next door, and I don't remember who it was. It was someone like the Dalai Lama or or Jimmy Carter or a really famous important person, and and so you know why not take a camera and crash the event and do that put that on your show and stuff. And he did it with uh, Biff Henderson, his longtime floor manager, whatever Biff's role was. Um, and and he, Letterman talked about it later, and he said, I just thought it would, it would be weird if I went there by myself um, as me. I just don't find that interesting or funny, because then I'm just a talk show host doing a stunt. But if I take Biff Henderson, and I have him do the interview with the Dalai Lama or whoever it was, then, then that's interesting. You know, something, something happens there. And I, I thought that was a, a, an interesting observation about how comedy works, about how things happen on television, maybe um, setting up that, that um, this is not two famous celebrities meeting. This is a, a, just a, a guy who happens to be the stage manager who's, you know. Um, who we're filming. And also yeah. his, who Dave is in his ear and on the screen. So I, one of the things I always thought was interesting was when was Dave would tell people to do things, but then Dave was also there to be seen by the person that they were talking to. Yeah. It was just another odd level, just like you say. The other thing that Letterman did was to, not, you know, he opened up the street in a way that other people didn't open up the street. Because he would, especially initially, I mean, he would be out on the street. People, crowds would be there. They would do things, with golfing and cannonballs. But also, what what did you make of his early? Some people just dismiss it as juvenile throwing things off of roofs. Mm -hmm. How did you like those? I liked them great, and I to me it was like his expression was, "Can you believe this is happening on TV?" First of all. Excuse me, sir. Can you tell me? Excuse me, sir. Can you, I just a question about your hat. Let me ask you about your hat. Excuse me. You in the tie. You, sir, in the blue blazer. Yes, you. I need some hot dogs. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. What's in your Happy Meal? 
Uh, you have to prove to me that you're happy. You're not. You're not getting anything. All right. Uh, the happy meal is uh, veal shank and and a German potato salad and uh, a side of lime jello. That somebody, somebody. Paul, oh, look what they're letting us do. Yeah, and uh, but also, it, it's actually. I mean, I I always wanted to know what a watermelon looked like if it was dropped from ten stories. I mean. Didn't it? Didn't the thought ever pass through your mind? You know, like if you had the chance to do that, wouldn't you do that? And and he was expressing all that. He was acting out all those things. And um, I found it. I in these early days, I thought that was quite exhilarating. Yeah, I mean, Letterman took the pretensions of television, especially just as some people were making it more pretentious than ever. He took all that. Oh, we're here. You're there. We're entertaining you. He took all that stuff and flipped it around. Because he made it. That's why stupid pet tricks, stupid animal, stupid human tricks, were were funny. They were weird. They were uncomfortable because he would he would say things to people and he would make cracks. It's also why the stuff with the kids was good when he would do the science uh, yes. work with the kids. It wasn't cute the way it was on some other shows. It was more yeah. cringeworthy is good because Letterman always was willing to go right up and sometimes over into cringeworthy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he's, um, I, I identify him with, um, as being of this, I don't know if they are the same age, but of the same age as uh, Steve Martin, who became a star quicker in the 70s. But Letterman was already on uh, Carson back in the 70s. And I really, I always loved him as a guest on that show because he was, thought he was a very funny guy. But um, to me, they represent the age of irony, which is, happens to be the age that I came of age as well, was this pocket of, of uh, strange, you know, the country was apathetic after Vietnam and Watergate, etc., and and you had this intense um, period of irony. But um, I'm kind of interested in in how we have passed through that and out of that. Yeah. Have we passed through it and out of yes. it? Yes, yes, yes. But that's why that's Stewart why and um, Colbert are not ironic, right? They're not ironists. They are satirists, and they and and. Colbert will have to find a, a place that is, boy, that's why his is going to be hard because he's going to seem like he's being a wink and a nod all the time unless he unless he finds a a way to be himself, which I think he will, and yeah, you still have that still have that sharp rapier that he jabs his guests with, yeah, because uh, that's what made him also brilliant. But no, I don't think we're I do I do think we left irony because we didn't want to be ironic anymore, especially after. 9-11, right? You know, we were going to be all America again. And Letterman never played into that. The other thing Letterman did was, Letterman, it seemed to me, well, sometimes Letterman would make jokes at the expense of, of the, sort of did the same thing that Michael Moore did. He made jokes at the expense of people who had who had no real power, who were forced to be gatekeepers and the, and the people at the desk. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't really attacking the higher-ups all the time. It was sometimes just sort of pushing back at normal folks who were in situations that could or could not be uncomfortable and funny and maybe get them fired, but um, which is kind of Michael Moore's thing. But Letterman did seem to, he didn't, he didn't dwell on that. It seemed like he was more willing and desirous of being, poking fun at the, the larger pomposity, but of culture too. That's why he made fun of people, just the regular folks so much, but of all of us. What about the fact that he, um, especially early on, he he unleashed 
it wasn't just Steve Martin. Uh, Bill Murray's a good example, too. There were a lot of comedians who loved coming on his show because he sort of did the thing that Carson had done before, which was to groom new comedians and introduce new comedians. But he seemed to stick with people that he loved even when they didn't make it. Uh, George Miller, guys like that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he de he definitely was seemed seemed to be loyal to his friends, and you sort of got used to that. Um, and he's, I mean, there were a bunch of people who came out of the show who kind of got launched. Chris Elliott being one of the weirder ones. <laughs> weirder, yes, yes, but um, essential. I mean, to, watching Letterman in the eighties and and seeing Chris Elliott was just. His his Marlon Brando imitation is still one of the funniest things I've ever seen on TV. I think I just cherish that. And that was weird. So you think Letterman recognized also early on that it wasn't just him that he 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 wanted more than foils like Ed McMahon was, and even Paul was something different than a foil. It was more yeah. like a conscience. And Letterman brought all those other folks into the show, made them part of the show. Was always breaking the wall, yelling at yeah. stage managers and cue card guys. Yeah, he really, right. He 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 saw really. He did see the value of that of just focusing on, and some of them were were, you know, like Paul Schaefer and Chris Elliott. They were on staff as creative people, but some of some of his regulars were regular regular folk, and he he really dug that. And uh, and uh, there was just some. There was something great about it. I I I will. Um, all I can say is that when I was. Uh, his his NBC show at twelve thirty started when I was I had just graduated from college and so I was not doing anything and I was able to stay up every night. What uh, is that? What year are we talking there? I did eighty two maybe, and uh, I when it when it came on I I, I it made me I, I was so amazed that this could happen on TV I and mean, I was astonished. Uh, and to me, it was quite liberating and inspirational. And I'm really, I'm not being ironic, even though I'm of the age of irony, uh, totally. And uh, it, it actually made me want to do things, uh, made me want to do things with my writing. And I, I actually reviewed the show in the first outlet that I had, which is the newsletter of the Seattle Film Society, which partly because of Letterman's show, I, I decided to expand so that it looked more like a little magazine and put reviews in it, and one of one of the reviews was reviewing this new show with David Letterman and singing its praises because I thought it was so uh, so awesome. Um, but it really, I I, it was fantastic. It was it was somebody who was who was to me it was like you know Elvis was coming along and just everything was different and you could do stuff like this and you might get away with it. So where does he rank? You know, Dave Garraway, Jack Parr, Ernie Kovacs. Carson, Dick Cavett, Joey Bishop had a show for a while. Regis had a show for a while. Yeah, you know, and then up through Leno and Jimmy's, the Jimmies. <laughs> yeah, and Steve Allen, and I mean, I think he's he's definitely he's 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 second only to to Johnny. You know, that's that's uh, and maybe in some ways he he did things in, a, in an interesting way longer than than Carson did. Yeah, isn't that interesting? He did do it longer. He, I mean, now right? Wasn't he on? Well, Carson made it. 30. 30, yeah. And then uh, David beat him by a couple of years. But um, but they were different. Carson Carson was the showbiz guy, though. Sh Carson was the guy that you'd, 
you'd uh, goof with. I mean, for example, Carson and Letterman both had the animal guy come on, right? Right. And 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 that's sort of a, a shtick of those shows. And I, yeah. I, me, I love that. Oh, yeah. But Letterman, I, Carson was always like, uh, I don't know. Letterman, I always got the feeling like he really wanted to grab that thing up and see what it was going to do. Mm-hmm. Even though yeah. sometimes he wasn't too pleased with what it did. Yeah, they played it in different ways. Well, uh, one, I'll put it this way. I think that Carson, one thing that people say about Carson is he made, he made everybody look good. And he did. He was very, very skillful. Um, he, he really was a master of that. He brought out, uh, brought out the best in people. And Letterman did not care about making people look good. Um, and I, that's not a put down of Letterman. He, he didn't care. Um, if you got the show, if you got him and you, you understood th- what he was doing, then you looked good on his show. And if you were a phony, if you were full of, if you we were only there to plug something, or if you were dull-witted or whatever it was, then you were going to look bad because he he wouldn't rescue you. And I actually think that's okay. And for a long time, it was a really amazing thing about his show. Nicely put. Nice. Uh, Seinfeld was on. Yeah, I talk about this a lot. Yeah, Seinfeld was on a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Seinfeld at one point said, "You know, you know why? Uh, you know what it is about your show." You know what it is that you do? And and Dave said, what? And then Seinfeld gets up off the couch and on the back of the chair and sits there like that. So now Seinfeld's looking down at Letterman. He said, that's what you do. You're doing that all the time, Dave. Why don't you come out over here? And then they switch places for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and that's true. That is Letterman did use that. Yeah. He did use the fact that he was a big guy in a nice suit and you were in the, you were in the couch below. And, mm. Yeah. And you had to rise to the occasion. Sort of. Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. Well, it's a great show and and, uh, and uh, bon voyage, I guess. It is the end of an era. It is definitely the end of an era, just in the way Carson was. Not in the way Leno was, but maybe that's just because we weren't Leno fans. I don't know. Leno just seems so much more traditional yeah. to TV. Yeah. You think he'll have Oprah on to the last, his last guest, his last show? Um, no, I guess he's doing a potpourri and Bill Murray's last official guest, right? Is he was the first ever guest, but, uh, also I don't think Letterman's going to disappear the way Carson did. No, no. I think he'll be around. Yeah. Yeah. I heard Letterman saying he wants to come on Sunday morning and do those essays on CBS Sunday morning. (laughs) Oh, good. We'll see. Well, he'll be good at that too, I think. All right. Well, uh, good late night TV, good late night TV to you. All right, we'll see you in the Zeds. To the uh, Late Show, uh, this is our uh, first show uh, on the air since uh, New York and Washington uh, were attacked. And uh, I, I need to ask your uh, patience and, and indulgence here because uh, I want to say a few things. And uh, believe me, sadly, I'm not going to be saying anything new. And in the past week, uh, others have said what I will be saying here tonight far more eloquently than I'm equipped to, to do. But uh, if we are going to continue to do shows, um, I just need to hear myself talk for a couple of minutes. And so um, that's what I'm going to do here.